and I didn't have a job and I didn't really have any money and I didn't have anywhere to live. Uh, well, the first thing was go find a job, which I did. And then the second place when I got the job was to show up for work and find somebody who had a room or a bed that I could, could stay in. Meanwhile, I was living on somebody's floor. Be confident, be bold, be authentic, but don't forget to take action. This is Ordinary to Badass, where our stories empower women to step into the spotlight of their own lives and pursue what they're truly passionate about. It's time to step into the arena and become more than just extraordinary. It's time to become a badass with your host, Marie Sonneman. Welcome to Ordinary to Badass, episode number 249. In this episode, you're going to hear from Jacqueline Wales. And Jacqueline is a motivational speaker, professional coach, and an author. She's the author of a book called Fearless Factor. So we talk all about fear in this episode. And Jacqueline has quite a story and has overcome so much. She's definitely had a bajillion examples of facing fear and how that worked out for her. So make sure you listen to this episode. I'll tell you, it's kind of a good reminder. Like you hear other people's stories and you hear the stuff that they have gone through. And this is definitely not a comparison game, right? Everybody has their own journey, but you hear the stuff people have gone through and it's like, oh my gosh, I would be scared to do that. I would be terrified. Or I don't know if I could have done that. But it kind of puts things in perspective because so often we think our experience is so different from everybody else's or we have it so bad and forget how bad other people have it. So that's why it's always interesting to have these guests on the show and hear the behind the scenes, hear their story, hear the stuff that we don't know happens, right? Like in the social media world, it comes across as everything's all gumdrops and lollipops. But here we get to kind of peel back the layers and see the truth behind the story. So I love that. So if you like this episode as much as I did, I would love it if you headed on over to iTunes and left a five-star rating and review. Every single review helps and it gets other badasses just like you into the community. Um, if that's not your thing, then share it. Share it with a friend. There's usually three little dots at the top of the podcast episode. If you click on the episode and enlarge it, there's three little dots and then you have the option to share the link with a friend and do whatever works for you, right? If you're not into going on to iTunes and leaving a review, then just share it with a friend. That would be cool too. This week, I want to give a shout out to Mentor SC who said, I'm already obsessed. Love this pat or love this podcast above the rest. Mentor SC, thank you so much for taking the time to leave a podcast review I absolutely appreciate it. I know you're busy, got a lot going on, but it means the world to me when you take the time to leave a review. All right, let's get to the episode. Welcome to Ordinary to Badass. Whether you're ordinary or badass, I am so glad you're here. Today's guest is Jacqueline Wales. Jacqueline, thank you so much for being here. Excited to have you on the show. It's my pleasure, Marie. Great to be here. And before we go any further, I've got to ask you, do you consider yourself ordinary or badass? 
I gave up ordinary a very long time ago. So I am definitely a badass. Nice. I love it. <laughs> what led to you giving up ordinary? I don't think I've ever seen myself as ordinary, to be honest. I don't even know what ordinary truly means. You know, I mean, it's like when people say normal, what does normal mean? You know, it's, there's there's a whole wide range of, of possibilities around that. So, you know, I for me, I've always been a searcher. I've always gone looking for A, in the beginning, trouble, and B, and as I eventually figured out that looking for trouble did not serve me, I figured out how to look for things that really helped me grow and helped me develop as an individual. And I pushed the boundaries a lot. And, you know, I mean, I left home at 16 as a starter, you know, and I didn't have a job and I didn't have anywhere to stay. All I wanted to, to do at that moment in time was just get the hell out of the family home because it was not going to be serving my, my purposes. Uh, and then, as I said, I ran into a whole bunch of trouble one way or another. But the bottom line was that you know, I've always seen myself as being someone who lived outside of the so-called normal parameters. Uh, and I have got several decades under my belt now. And, it, you know, I continue to feel that way. So, then, you know, there's a whole big reason why my work is all about being fearless, because if you're going to be fearless, you got to be a badass. There you go. <laughs> so I love that you have lived outside the parameters or what people consider normal or what you have to do. That can't always be easy. So what have you done to stay strong during that process? Well, it wasn't easy. There's no question. And, and, and you have to, to really deal with it. And I'll you know, as I said, I left home when I was 16. I moved from Edinburgh, Scotland to London. And I didn't have a job and I didn't really have any money and I didn't have anywhere to live. Uh, well, the first thing was go find a job, which I did. And then the second place when I got the job was to show up for work and find somebody who had a room or a bed that I could could stay in. Meanwhile, I was living on somebody's floor. So there's a resiliency built into me that a lot of people struggle with. Because one of the things I talk about is resiliency is based on past experiences. What have you survived? What have you been challenged by and found a way to bounce back from? And so that was my very early days. And then I got pregnant at the age of 19. And I didn't know who the father was because I was pretty reckless, frankly. And uh, when I gave birth to her at the age of 20, I was supposed to give her up for adoption, but I couldn't do it. So I held on to her for three months until it was pretty obvious one night when I really lost my cool that I needed to do it do differently. And so I gave her up for adoption at that point. Uh, so that was the very early days. That just takes you up until like the first 21 years of my life. Um, so, the, you know, there was a lot of drug and alcohol abuses. There was a lot of, of basically screwing myself and screwing other people, by the way. Um, my children were very much impacted by that. The first one was up for adoption. The second one I left with his father when he was three and a half. Um, and I moved from London to San Francisco. And every time I, I did those moves when I was younger, there was this piece inside of me that knew that I had to keep moving, that there was something more. I did not know how to identify it. And I wasn't even sure what the other side would really look like. But I knew for sure that if I stayed on the track, that, uh, you know, something was going to change. So I think the inner sense of what I was capable of, but it was a path that most people would not take. You know, you move to foreign cities, you don't know anybody, you don't have any money, you don't have any way of, of really connecting. I mean, I moved to the United States and I was an illegal alien. 
who the hell knew? You know, Sting can sing about it, but I was an illegal alien. Um, but, uh, you know, and that that took a while to to figure itself out. Now I can say I'm a permanent resident. So <laughs> we're good with that one. But it took a lot of years to finally figure that piece out. So as I said, there's, there was an awful lot of early years stories. But I think what's what was inside of me was a very strong determination to say, I'm going to make it work no matter what. Because there were times when you just wanted to sit down and go, I can't do this. It's not possible. And then you brush yourself off, you know, the old song, pick yourself up, brush yourself off and start all over again. So that's what I've done over and over again. I've reinvented myself many, many times over my lifetime. Uh, and each time faced a lot of challenges along the way about, can I do this? Am I capable? Am I good enough? Um, what are other people going to think about me? You know, all the things that hold us back and stop us from playing out loud, that was definitely the deafening sound inside of my head, too. So to your point, how do you do that and become a badass? It is simply because, to my philosophy, being fearless is not the absence of fear, but the courage to take that next step. Because I talk about why fear matters to your success. And I've written two books on the subject, The Fearless Factor and The Fearless Factor at Work. And uh, I'm addressing these issues of how do we keep moving forward? Because that's the key to it. It's a driver. Fear is a driver for growth. And that driver is there. It's your internal engine that allows you to say, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I'm uncertain. And here's the thing about change. You got to be comfortable getting uncomfortable because if you're not dealing with that discomfort, you're not really in the process of change. Most people settle for status quo and you'll never get to be a badass if you're in status quo, frankly. So, you know, challenge yourself, challenge the status quo, challenge the, the people around you who say you're not, not possible. You can't do that. Why not? Who said I can't do that? You might not want to do that, but I sure as hell will. Um, but you've got to have that conviction, that confidence to be able to say, and even if the confidence isn't there, acting as if, or as someone once said, as if until you believe it or fake it till you, you, you believe it, because you've heard fake it till you make it. But that acting as if becomes a big driver of making the changes. So you have to have that vision of possibilities and know that even if at this very moment you do not know what that outcome will be for sure, you've got a strong vision and you're working your way towards that vision. And many people fall down because they can't imagine what positive future looks like. So good. So many golden nuggets in there that I'd like to dive into. But first, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know you got up to the point where you had child number two and then uh, that you wrote two books, but will you fill in the blanks there with your bio? Yeah. Um, so after child number two, I moved to San Francisco and met my husband, who I've now been with for 42 years. So that gives you an idea of the age thing. Uh, <laughs> we met when we were, I was in my 20s and he was in his 30s. So um, we ended up having uh, a child together. We've had two children together. 
And he brought his daughter from Thailand, a complete stranger to me, to live with us and be raised by us. Uh, she was almost 10 years old when, when she arrived on my doorstep. So the two children that we've had together, um, these were really my catalyst for change. When I got pregnant with the third child, our first, I said, uh, she'll leave me before I leave her, which meant she would go off to college, that I would figure it out how to be this mother. And the truth of the matter is, you know, I had a very rocky childhood with all of the full on dysfunctions of, of a, you know, family life that was filled with alcoholism and violence, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. Um, and we had a severely uh, uh, disabled child in the family as well. So, you know, caretaking came early to me in my life. So by the time I had child number three, I was like, okay, you got to figure this out. This is your really your catalyst for making her life better and your life better. And then I went on to have, as I said, one more after her and then uh, a stepdaughter as well. The good news is in terms of the children's story is that I now have amazing adults in my, my life and I have made my peace over many years with my son that I left behind when he was three and a half. I don't talk to his father anymore. I haven't spoken to him in 40 years, nor do I wish to. Thank you very much. But my son and I talk every weekend. So there's a, there's a good conclusion to the children's story. I was in my 40s when I decided that I wanted to really pursue writing. Um, at that point, I had been very involved with cooking. Um, I'm a well-trained chef and food for me was a way of being very creative. And I had written a soup cookbook back in the my late 30s. And in my 40s, I decided to pursue writing through uh, the writing program at UCLA. And out of that came the desire to write my first book, my first book was called When the Crow Sings. It's a semi-autobiographical novel, and it tells the story of three generations of women giving birth to children outside of marriage until one woman has the courage to give her child up for adoption. So I tell the story of my grandmother, my mother, and myself. Um, it took me 12 years to write because it kept morphing into to different formats until uh, eventually it became a semi-autobiographical novel, which was quite well received. So that was book number one. And uh, during my 40s, I became extraordinarily creative. I started making music. I was a professionally trained singer. I took up martial arts when I was 43 and I got my black belt in karate at the age of 49. Um, I made music. I was a cantor for, for synagogues in Paris and Amsterdam because after San Francisco, I moved to Los Angeles, then Paris, then Amsterdam. We built a house in Bali. And eventually I ended up uh, from Amsterdam to New York and then New York back here to Northern California again. So I've had a very global experience, too, with with my my life. Um, and so, you know, made a lot of great stuff. But when I was in my 50s, uh, life changed dramatically. What was once a very comfortable existence uh, turned out to be something uh, less than so. And so, you know, you there there's there was a money equation in here and i'm not going to go into the details on it but basically i found myself going from a very comfortable existence to holy shit where we go now um and i had to go find a job and that job became become a coach and uh at the age of 53 i became a coach and my coach at the time said you need to write on uh something 
uh, that you know you're familiar with, and that familiar was fear, because uh, as you've probably heard from everything I've said, I had to confront fear a lot. Can I sing? Can I write? Uh, you know, you're in a fight with in a karate fight. You know, are you going to be able to to withstand whatever? You know, uh, I had a lot of bruises to to and broken hands to show for it. So. You know, a lot, lot, a lot, a lot of story. I mean, not, you know, we I can go on forever with stories, but at 53, they changed my life again. And that 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 life change came to turning myself into an executive coach, doing leadership development. And so for the last 17 years, um, that will gives you an idea of my age at this point in time. Um, I have been I've been training and working with highly accomplished people to uh, help them understand their thinking and their behavior. And everything that I teach, everything that I, I've written, everything that I'm all about is based on being there, done that, know what that stuff looks and feels like. So back to your thing about being a badass, hell yeah, I earned it right there. Nice, I love that. <laughs> so you've written two books about fear. You know all about it. How can we start to confront fear? I know it can be terrifying taking like a first step or doing something to confront our fear, but what can we do? So here's the first step in understanding fear. You've got to question it. And that's one of the things I do a lot in my work is I ask a lot of questions. And the first question on fear is, is it true? Whatever story you've got going on in your head, do you have empirical evidence that it's true? Because I bet you nine times out of 10, you don't. It's just a story you're telling yourself. It's based on worries about the future. It's about worries about outcomes that have not even begun to manifest yet. It's about how do you think about yourself? And frankly, fear comes down to a lot of things, but the fundamental piece is I'm not good enough. And when you can question that piece about are you good enough, do you have evidence that you're really you know, worthless, because that's the kind of thinking that goes on. The negative thinking that takes over in your head frequently was not put there by you. It was put there by someone else who at some point in your life diminished who you were and you believed it to be true. And it was probably some kind of authority figure. And it could be a parent, could be a teacher, could be a boss, whatever it is, these messages stuck. And there's a piece of you that struggles with, am I good enough? Will I be lovable? There's another one that, that comes up for, for fear. And, you know, do you have the evidence that you're not good enough? Well, of course, we always look for the confirmation bias, i.e., look at how I failed. Look at how I gave up easily. Look at how that relationship went sideways. And there's a whole myriad of circumstances. And trust me, I knew all about it. I was a chaos junkie. Things got too easy. I really wanted to mess it up just because I was used to the discomfort of things being messed up. But after a while, that gets really exhausting. And you have to go figure out that, you know, this is your own self-sabotage. This is your own doing because if we take full responsibility for everything that we are there's no blame there's no judgment there's no sense of it's somebody else's fault it's all yours and you get to choose how you wish to respond to the negative thinking to the ways in which you you're showing up for yourself in the world because you have the courage inside of you if only you're willing to tap into that 
And I'm sure that if, if you're thinking about this right now, as you're listening to this, there have been occasions in your life when you felt that, you know, things were definitely on the wrong side of whatever it was you were looking for, but you had the courage inside of you to do something different and make a difference. And that's really what, what this being fearless is all about. And remember what I said earlier about being fearless is not the absence of fear, but it's the courage to take that next step. And that next step doesn't have to be a massive one. It can be a really tiny one, but it's just something that moves the needle in a different direction. But number one, ask yourself the question, are my fears real? Are they true? Do I have evidence? So I would like to peel back part of that. Um, I am enough. And then you said to ask yourself for evidence of that or whatever it is that you're saying to yourself. Sometimes when we're so conditioned in our negative thoughts, it can be easy to find the evidence of us not being enough and tell ourselves that story, even if it's not true. So mm -hmm. how do we combat that? So another way you can combat that is ask other people that you trust. What do you think of me? Give me five adjectives that, that would, you would use to describe me. Because when other people look at you from the outside, they're not seeing the same thing that you're seeing on the inside. You know, we become our own worst enemies. We're unkind to ourselves. We don't show ourselves any compassion. So if you really want to live with the story about your useless piece of whatever, you've got to start thinking about that a little bit differently by asking for evidence from other people. Am I really a useless piece of whatever? No. People will come and say, no, I find you very generous. I find you very compassionate. I find you very whatever. Listen to them and believe them because that's the other side of, oh, well, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't really know me, you know? I mean, I, you haven't really seen the real me. Have you seen the real you? Do you know who the real you is? Probably not, because you're too involved in the stories that you think are the truth of who you are. So again, if you can't find your way to thinking differently about it, and by the way, it's not that hard. It's simply a matter of listen to the story that you tell yourself that's on the negative side, flip it, flip it. And it takes practice. And you've got to keep repeating it. It's not just a once and done magic bullet thing. It's about practice it. Look in the mirror and say to yourself, you know what? I think you are really capable. Even if you don't fully believe it. Even if you think to yourself, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep repeating that until it becomes my new belief system. Because we're all run by limiting beliefs. Every one of us have limiting beliefs, including me. I know where minds are and I have to struggle with it. And I know that I need to keep working it. But the truth of the matter is that's life. It's a process. And there's no done done until you're in a pine box going out the door. <laughs> that's done done. But until that moment, you've got plenty that you can work with. Is fear, is it here to help us or is it limiting, limiting us and our potential? It's both. It's both. It's here. I mean, as I said, fear matters to your success because it's that internal alarm bell. When you go into fear, what happens physically? You get that pit of the stomach stuff. You get the sweaty hands. 
you know, you start with what I call the yada yada radio, where your brain is is going into all kinds of story making um, and the discomfort of that. I'll give you an example. The first time that I was invited to sing in front of a large audience, it was uh, during the uh, high holidays for our synagogue at the time. And we we're just coming up on Passover right now. So I'm invited up to sing in front of the congregation for Rosh Hashanah. And because they knew I could sing, I had un, 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 at that point I had been trained. So I have one particular piece to sing. And I get up to stand in front of the, the microphone and I look out and my throat just feels like somebody's got it by the fist. <clears throat> and I realize that the only way I'm going to get through this is just to breathe and tune it out. So I start singing and the first few notes felt like they were really caught in my throat. And then I relaxed and I let it go. And it turned out to be beautiful. And when I went back to my seat again, my legs were like jelly. I was absolutely unsure about how I was going to walk back across that stage and sit down. And when I did sit down, I was like floods of, oh, my God, you did it. It's over, blah, blah, blah. Now, that was the first time when my rabbi came to me in Paris and said to me, we need a cantor for the high holidays. I said to him, what do I know about Jewish liturgy? He said, you can learn. These two, three words have been pushed at me my entire life you can learn because we can all learn if we're committed enough we can learn so he sent me away for three and a half months for me to learn all of the the prayers that i needed to sing for rosh hashanah and yom kippur it was a mammoth undertaking and i ate slept and breathed liturgical music for three and a half months and when i first showed up on the first night of rosh hashanah to sing I felt totally unprepared, and yet I had been preparing for three and a half months. And it became a five-year journey on every high holiday, first in Paris and then in Amsterdam, to be the one who sings the prayers. And it was a life-transforming piece. But again, that fear was there. Am I capable? Can I pull this off? What will other people think? Will it be received well? And I said, when I was doing this, I started out with, if it goes from my mouth to God's ears to their hearts, I've done my job. That was how I positioned it. So that's another story about how we get and use fear. And then the other side of not using fear, of course, is to sit there and, and have sleepless nights. And how am I going to deal with this? You know, if, if you're sitting here right now and you might be in a lot of debt, for instance, you know, it's like, well, how am I going to pay off the debt? You may not have the answers right now, but you have to trust that at some point you're going to be able to take care of it. And if it gets damned uncomfortable because people are banging on the door and they want their pound of flesh for it, yeah, they will get their pound of flesh, but it might have to be in your time, not in theirs. And there's no point in you going overboard on worrying about it because where does that take you? Just digs you a bigger and bigger hole. So, you know, and again, we've all had those moments where we wondered, how are we going to deal with this? But if you play into that piece of, you know, I want to, I'm going to drive myself crazy with it, then yeah, you will. And that's a, that's a, that's a piece. You can absolutely do that. So do you have any practices that you do 
um, to help you not get wrapped up in the thoughts? It's a very Buddhist practice in some ways. It's, it's really around the issue of letting it go. When you see that things are outside of your control and you're busy, and I am a controller, by the way, I've been a controller my whole life. I get it. But when you are feeling like you need to control every aspect of whatever it is, you're getting yourself in trouble with that. You have to be able to look at it from a distance, if you can, and go, what can I control? What can I not control? And the stuff that you can't control, you've got to put it aside. Let it be. And it's not about denying its existence because it's still there. But what you have to do is be able to say, okay, so this part I can control. And that's really my emotional reaction to this. And the other part that I can't control is that, you know, maybe right now I don't have the resources to meet my debts. So those institutions that have billions of dollars attached to them, yeah, they're just going to have to wait for it. <laughs> and I'll have to deal with the discomfort of the letters and the banging on the door or the phone calls or whatever until such times as we work it out. Because it's not that you're walking away from your responsibilities. It's simply that for right now, I can't handle it. Out of luck. Right. And you let that go. You have to let that go. Because if, I'm, if I have that and I'm spending my nights worried to death about what's going to happen, how is that serving me? It's not. So that letting go piece becomes a really important part. What can you control and what can you not control? And let that part go. Yeah. Oh, to be ears, listen to Jacqueline, focus on what you can control versus what you can't control. I love that. So good. So Jacqueline, I would like to hear, I know you talk about this fearless factor. Will you tell us what that is? So I ask people, what is your fearless factor? And the answer to that really depends on, and there's a lot of different answers, but we're looking at when fear shows up in your life, how do you handle it? So when fear shows up in my life, I know that there's an, an alarm bell going off for me to look at that, to think about what I need to grow into. So I look at that as, you know, fear shows up and what do I do? Well, my middle name is Determination. Tell me I can't do something and I will tell you, watch me. <laughs> it's the story of my life. Watch me. Um, and, you know, I'm not always taking the, the, the shortcut, by the way. I'm frequently in the early days would take a long road to, to watch me. So the determination to fight the fear, you know, the, and trust that I can handle whatever it is that comes my way. There was a book written 30 odd years ago, Susan Jeffers, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And she said in her book at the time, fear is our, our, our belief that we cannot handle whatever it is that comes our way. So look to the past. What have you handled in the past that was difficult? What have you done to move beyond it? That becomes then your fearless factor. So I've heard people say my determination, my resilience, my spirituality, just do it. Um, there's all kinds of ways in which we can confront that discomfort of knowing that I'm uncertain about what's going to happen here. I'm uncertain about myself. I'm uncertain about circumstances. I'm uncertain about someone who wants to have a confrontation with me. There, now there's another big one right there. People who hate confrontations. 
I used to hate confrontations. Um, that's about learning how to have the conversations that not about you're to blame, I'm to blame. 42 years in a marriage, it was always about, it's your fault, it's my fault. No, let's examine this. Let's take a look at, you know, what's the circumstances we're dealing with here and let's try to frame it up so that we know who's responsible for what. But again, that takes time. Too many times we want the shortcut. It's your fault. It's whatever. It, you know, it's like paint whatever color you want on it. But the truth of the matter is, if you take the time to give yourself that moment of saying, I'm feeling the fear. But I also know that if I give into that, I just shortcut my life. I'm just allowed myself to stay in a limited place. But if I'm looking for a solution, first of all, acknowledge it. Secondly, what can you do that would give you the control? And what is it that you can't control and you need to let go of? So being the fearless factor, the fearless factor is how you're going to handle that in your own way. So how do you know when you're shortcutting yourself or when it's actually a warning sign that you shouldn't be doing something? Well, I could say in that case, you know, I mean, if you really feel like you don't want to go there, then don't go there. You know, I mean, if, if that's the difference, it's like, you know, how do you how do you know if this is where you need to show up and grow or whether it's something, you know, absolutely you don't need to go there. Let's say you're in a abusive relationship and you're afraid for your safety then you're afraid every time that person comes through the door because you don't know what kind of mood they're going to be in. You have a choice. You have a choice to either stay or you have a choice to go. The choice to go might mean that you don't have anywhere to stay. You don't have a roof over your head. The choice to go might mean you don't have any money. The choice to go might mean that your kids are going to be out on the street with you living in some kind of shelter while you get your act together. And that may not be a choice that you wish to make. And one of the things that I talk about in my work is that everything is about choice. We get to choose whether we engage or not engage. And even if you, you say, I don't have a choice, you just made a choice. <laughs> so you have to look at your choices around, you know, whether you know this is good for you or and a growth piece but it's all a growth piece i don't care what it is it's all a growth piece so you get to choose maybe some of that comes from knowing yourself or getting in touch with yourself um, through meditation or through practice of doing things and you get to learn yourself do you have any thing that you do to kind of ground yourself Meditation is certainly a piece of it. You know, if, if I'm finding myself spinning, I need to remember to breathe. Um, most of us are unconscious when it comes to our breathing. Uh, let's face it, we breathe in and out thousands of times a day um, and we give it no notice. But if you actually take a moment to notice where in your body is that breath, where are you feeling it? It's like when I'm doing my yoga practice, I'm a very big physical uh, person. I did karate. I mentioned that earlier. I did karate for years and then I did CrossFit for years and I still do a variety or a variation of CrossFit. Um, last two years we closed down. I 
made a gym in my garage. So being physically active is very, very important for me. And I do yoga practice as well. So that's a way for me to connect to my body. And the breathing part is another way. So when you're feeling like everything's spinning out of control, sit yourself down and just watch what's happening with your breath and try to be connecting to it. It's amazing how it just brings you right into the moment because Here's the thing about when we spin out of control. We're usually way out in the future. Future hasn't arrived yet. And the way I look at it is this. You know, the past informs who you are today. The past is all your experiences and the things you've learned, and it's who you have become to this date. The future is not here yet. So our only reality is this moment. This very moment, this conversation, what we said five minutes ago is already gone. What we said two minutes ago is already gone. And what we'll say in five minutes from now, I have no idea. <laughs> you ask me to repeat what I said five minutes ago, I'll tell you, I don't know. I just know that I'm talking. But I can tell you that right this second, I'm here, I'm present. And that's another piece of it. It's be in the moment. You know, we've, we've heard this a lot. It's not always easy especially when you want to spin out and be somewhere else playing out the dramas. And trust me, I was a drama queen for years. I knew how to create drama really well. And it was mostly emotional drama until you, you get a handle on that and you go, do you really want to live in that space? No, I don't. Okay. So what would it look like if you were living differently? What would it look like if you didn't put so much effort into being right all the time? What would it look like if you spent more time giving other people the benefit of the doubt, staying out of judgment, not getting into blame, not worrying about failing, because that's the biggest fear of all for a lot of people is the fear of failure. But here's what I say, we're all failing our way to success. And that failure, failing our way to success is simply an expectation, a decision or a choice that did not go the way that you wanted it to. Boom. So, you know, again, you're going to come back to choice. How do you choose to feel? How do you choose to behave? How do you choose to think? Because it's all under your control. So good. So let's end with a tip to encourage women who are in the arena fighting for the life that they want. So I've said a lot today in terms of how we manage ourselves. And the first thing I want to say to you is you are much more than you think you are. Keyword there is think. I want you to think differently about who you are. If you're looking for evidence of your brilliance, ask Go to somebody that you love and trust and know that they will give you the truth and say, can you tell me how you view me? Can you tell me when you look at me, what do you see? Now they might tell you that, you know, well, we think you could do better, but you're not looking for that. What you're looking for is the positive. And I would use the word positive. Then I would ask you to sit down and write out all the positive traits of who you are. What is it that you love about yourself? What is it that you're good at? What is it that you think other people would say about you if they were speaking positively about you? 
And there's a list right there. And if you're going to be honest about it and really tell the truth of who you are, I guarantee you that list is filled with some amazing things. And that's you. And you can write down another column and you can go, okay, here's all the bullshit about me. And then you can look at that bullshit column and you can go, so what do you choose to keep hanging around with? And then make a choice on that one. So these are the these are two ways in which I would say you absolutely can start to, to redial who you are and how you want to show up in the world. So how can we connect with you? So you can go to my website at JacquelineWales.com. Make it very easy for you. It's my name. And um, I'm going to ask you to go subscribe to my newsletter. And in my newsletter, actually, before you even get the newsletter, you can download my inner game PDF. And it's really about how do we deal with our limited thinking. And I want you to go take that PDF on limited thinking. And then I'm going to deliver to you regularly in your inbox some great insights on how we can start to think differently, how we can behave differently. And I'll be giving you lots of resources to, to work with as well. And if anyone is looking to, to work with a coach, of course, I'm available and they should make time to give me a call and talk about it. But go to the website first and foremost, subscribe to my newsletter, take the PDF on the inner game and, and start changing up the dial so that you become the person you truly want to become. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. You've been a total badass and I've enjoyed hearing your story. Terrific. Thank you, Marie. My pleasure. And with that, we'll end our show. To all the badass women out there staying in the arena, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, own it and get after it. Okay, let's do five takeaways from this episode. Number one, actually, I'm going to do six takeaways today. Number one, you got to be comfortable getting uncomfortable. Because if you're not really dealing with discomfort, you are not in the process of change. Number two, Challenge the people around you who say you cannot do that. Ask why not? Who said? You might want to, or you might not want to do it, but I sure as hell will. Number three. The first step to understanding fear is questioning it. Ask yourself, is it true? Do you have any empirical evidence that it's true? Nine out of ten times, you don't. The fundamental piece that's underlying all of it is I'm not good enough. Number four, you have the courage inside of you. If only you're willing to tap into that. Number five, ask yourself, what can I control? What can I not control? The stuff you can't control, let it go. How is worrying about this serving you? It's not, so let it go. And number six, If you're looking for evidence of your brilliance, ask. Go to someone you love and trust and know and ask them to tell you, how do you view me? If you like this episode, make sure to tune in on Thursday to hear why Jacqueline Wales is so badass. Now that you've listened to this episode of Ordinary to Badass, we want to hear from you. 
go to our website, ordinarytobadass.com slash podcast and submit your own experience on how you took your life from ordinary to badass and get the chance to be on a future spotlight episode of the show. That's ordinarytobadass.com forward slash podcast. While you're waiting for the next episode of the show, wipe off the sweat, dust off the dirt and get back in the arena.